Hey, thanks for joining us today on Geezers of Gear. Today's podcast is brought to you by Act Entertainment. The only thing better than a fixture that is reliable, affordable, and flexible is one that can wow your audience with something they've simply never seen before. The new Ayrton Zonda 9 FX Wash ticks all of those boxes and then some. With incredible output of up to 25,000 lumens, plus billions of colors, the new Zonda will find a place on nearly any project, and once it's there, the totally new liquid effect on this fixture's face will cement it as your client's favorite. Act Entertainment is very excited to bring you the Ayrton Zonda 9 to North America and can't wait to show it to you soon. Please visit www.actentertainment.com as soon as you can. Well, hello and welcome to another episode of Geezers of Gear. And so today is episode number 165. No special celebrations or song and dance or parties. It's just episode 165. It's going to be a great episode. So I'm glad you're joining me and I hope you like it. And uh, so Gear Source, something near and dear to my heart and wallet, is uh, doing very well. It's odd times. I talk about it often. You know, uh, everyone talks about the shortages of gear, and everyone thinks that because Gear Source is in the used equipment uh, market for the most part, that we have some magical uh, switch that we've flipped and we've got an endless supply of used gear, and therefore we get these calls where it's like I need uh, 300 of the world's hardest to acquire fixtures and I need them by next Tuesday. Um, and remarkably, we can't fill some of those. I mean, uh, it's unbelievable that we're able to fill some of them, but remarkably, we can't do them all. And that's just the reality of where we're at right now. We're seeing a lot more companies holding off on selling some used gear. So that's creating higher prices. It's creating shortages even in the used market. Uh, it's just creating more and more complications. And all I can say is, you know, thank God for my team. They're pretty good at what they do and we're able to meet most crazy demands, but not all of them. So, um, just saying, you know, I mean, this world is a crazy world. New gear is hard to get. Used gear is hard to get. Shows are plentiful. Uh, I keep hearing that these shows though, aren't as profitable as they once were because, just all of the complications involved. Believe it or not, there's still COVID complications. Um, you know, people want more money. Travel is harder and more expensive. I'm hearing about people flying private because it's cheaper than uh, commercial travel. So, you know, it, it it's just the times that we're in and it's not going to get any easier anytime soon. Uh, I've always sort of targeted the end of this year for, you know, a return to the way things were from an equipment standpoint anyways um, in all of the conversations I'm having at pretty high levels with uh, manufacturers that seems to be ringing true a lot of the manufacturers are 
able to supply product now. I mean, it's it's uh, the one that was on uh, the ad at the front end of this show, Act Lighting, with their uh, new Zonda fixture. From what I'm hearing, it's actually shipping, and people are able to buy them. So, you know, that's, that's pretty exciting. Um, but, you know, not everything is like that. There's a lot of companies who have uh, even fixtures or products or audio consoles or speakers that were new in 2019, but they're still not able to ship right now. And, you know, there's still shortages on things like audio consoles and lighting products and all kinds of things. You know, you're living it. So I don't need to tell you. Um, but one pretty exciting thing for GearSource and for the industry as a whole and for my friends in Europe and stuff is that Europe really has picked up. Europe is is going gangbusters right now. And of course, that's creating more need for gear. Uh, it's creating, you know, a lot of opportunities for companies. I saw that uh, someone who's going to be on the podcast soon, Huntley Christie, has opened a location in uh, Belgium, I think it was. Uh, no, sorry, Berlin, Germany. Um, so, you know, that's exciting. And I look forward to, to hearing from Huntley about that one. But, um, we are actually bringing on board a, uh, business development leader in Europe. Uh, if it's the per person that, you know, we're really targeting right now, it is a woman, very, very strong woman, really good person. I think she'll be a great addition to our team. And I think she'll be a great partner for, uh, primarily our sellers, but also buyers in, in Europe and, uh, you know, she'll be on your time zone and, and, uh, you know, it'll go along really well with, we already have a, a, a logistics office over there for handling, uh, you know, what we call customer experience needs, customer service type of stuff. So that's exciting. And, uh, so moving on to today, today's guest is, is, uh, someone I've been trying to get on the podcast since his story, uh, of expansion began, and, you know, a lot of people are still going, who is this guy? You know, what, what is this company? What's going on with this? You know, because, uh, so his name is Stephen Vitale. He's, he is a fourth generation person to head up his family's 133 year old, uh, pyrotechnics and, and fireworks company called Pyrotechnico. Um, but you know, Stephen, was this guy who during the pandemic, like me, just got itchy and got, you know, really excited about looking for opportunities and looking for opportunities to help companies as well. And so he put together this group of businesses that are very well-known uh, companies in our industry. And he's not the only guy who did a roll-up, but he did a roll-up with some very interesting and very, uh, a very different package of businesses and it's been a very successful endeavor. And uh, so, again, I've been wanting to get him on and, and, you know, just because it's an interesting story. Like, while so many companies and individuals, his included, <clears throat> were in, like, survival mode uh, during this, this pandemic, Stephen and his team sensed an opportunity and possibly you could even call it a duty to help businesses not only survive but for himself to build a larger business alongside, you know, this fireworks and pyro and SFX empire that that uh, he was heading up. So, um, you know, great guy. And uh, I hope you enjoy the talk. So let's go ahead and bring Stephen in now. Good morning, Stephen. How are you? 
Good morning, Marcel. I'm awesome. You're, How about you? It appears that you're off in another hotel somewhere in this world. Uh, and I know you love to travel and that's why you're buying up companies, right? Um, I do enjoy traveling. I do enjoy being out spending time with our people. Yeah, uh, for sure. And I think my, I think Nicole, my wife enjoys that as well every once in a while. <laughs> <laughs> the part where you leave and go <laughs> meet with your people. And no? come back, yeah. 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 And, and, and learn to appreciate your family. No, yeah, you know what? Sure. I mean, it's an amazing thing that, that, uh, you know, I know from the first time I met you, one of the things I recognized about you was that you were a, a people person. Like you really, you loved the connections of business and the networking and the, the communications a lot more than I did. Like I look at a phone call coming in and I go, Oh, not him again. And you're like, Oh, great. I want to talk to him, you know? And, uh, I love people too, but you know, maybe just not to the same level that you do, I guess, perhaps. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think why, why I do it every day and, and, um, is because I just enjoy seeing people evolve and grow. Yeah. Um, and I think that's a major part of what we do and, yeah. Uh, you know, a major part of our culture or at least a, a culture that we aspire to. Yeah. Yeah. I want to talk to you about that at some point here. Cause I know you're really big on culture and I know, um, like human resources is a big part of your company and, and, uh, you're always, you know, looking for and finding and keeping really great people on your team. So I do want to talk to you about that, but first, um, so I want to start with, you know, because I, here's the thing, and I said a little bit about it in the intro, which you uh, didn't hear, so you don't know what I was saying during the intro. But um, in the intro, I mentioned that you kind of, I mean, as much as you've been doing this for a long time, you were in a bit of a different business, not in the core of our industry of sound and lighting, although you've done a lot more touring and shows than a lot of people who are in the core of sound and lighting. And so, but you were in the fringe with this company called Pyrotechnico, which is, is pyrotechnics and special effects and, and fireworks. Um, and at our core fireworks. Yeah. And at sure. your core fireworks. And so, you know, I've had so many people contact me and go, who the hell is this Steven Vitale guy, you know, and, and what's he doing in the lighting business now? And so, um, so, you know, first, like, you were literally born into this industry, right? Or into fireworks and pyrotechnics. Yeah, I was, I mean, I'm, I'm you know, our, I'm a fourth generation, uh, pyrotechnician, uh, yeah, that was born into it, you know, started with my great grandfather and, and worked its way up to myself. And, um, you know, our daughter Mia, uh, you know, works for us. And, uh, so we're, we're, we're at the fifth, fifth generation mark and my two younger kids are are uh, uh you know who knows what they want to do they're they're i don't think they figured that out yet but uh you know i think one of the, the the great things is i get to work with my brother and sister every day but uh you know we consider everybody a yeah part of the family. yeah i was gonna say because you mentioned uh you mentioned mia but also your brother rocco and i'm sorry but i forget your sister's name Sister Lynn, yeah. she's she's a lovely person, very nice person, nicer than you and Rocco, but um, but I forgot her name. I'm sorry, Lynn. Uh, yeah, unless you cross one of her brothers, then yeah, then you're in trouble. <laughs> which I kind of just did. You're in trouble. I kind of yeah. just did. I just threw you and Rocco under the bus. But so you know, what's like the earliest moment 
you worked for your father or grandfather, whoever, whoever was running the company at that point? You know, I never got to really work with my, my grandfather, but I, you know, anybody who asks, uh, you know, who you would want to most have lunch with or dinner with, it would probably be my grandfather. Cause oh. I didn't get to, you know, had, had the utmost, uh, uh, you know, I was somewhat in awe of him. Uh, he was, I think we were a lot alike and, uh, you know, similar spirits. Um, you know, he was, uh, uh, a, a great guy, loved his people, but was tough as well. Yeah. Um, so, you know, one of my first, you know, I, I guess one of the first things that I remember is my dad taking me on a, a, a big fireworks show at the time. I think the, the budget was $12,000 Yeah, and it was to the, the Biltmore in Asheville, North Carolina. And it was for the Clark company. And, uh, you know, I think that was probably one of the first recollections that I have How old of, were you? of being a part of the business, uh, 11 or 12. Oh, okay. And he didn't have you like setting stuff up or firing off. Yeah, I would help. Yeah. I mean, back then, you know, the, the OSHA's, the OSHA laws were a little yeah. uh, looser and you, you were able to do it. But, you know, I started working in our factory and at the time we probably made 50% of, of what we actually, uh, you know, shot, uh, you know, so I, I enjoyed my start was really uh, not setting up shows. It was working in the factory and helping make, make fireworks. Huh? And I started and at the ripe age of 13, 13 years old. You're working in a explosives yeah. factory. Have you ever yeah. thought back yeah. and thought, you know, <laughs> my dad was, you know, an irresponsible bastard <laughs> putting a 13 year old kid um, in an explosives factory. <laughs> You know, I, it's a good question because I could never see my kids doing it that young. Yeah. Um, but you know, I like to involve them as much as much in the business as, as possible, just to kind of plant seeds and see if, you know, if it goes anywhere, you know, I'd love to see them. I'd love to see my, you know, uh, my nieces and nephews get in the business if they want, and, you know? Uh, so when you were young, when you were 13, did you have a choice? Um, not really. <laughs> you're going <laughs> to you know, do this, son? Said, you know, yeah, my father said, you know, you're going to work summers. You're going to, you know, learn to, to, you know, earn an income, uh, become a little bit independent. And, you know, you're not going to go to the pool every day like your friends. And I'm like, okay, I get it. But, you know, I think that was, uh, that was just, you know, really my start of, of really connecting the people to the business and how important the work that we did right. out in the field was to society. I mean, it sounds kind of loosey goosey, but you know, uh, we're in the entertainment business. And I think I got that early on in, in my career and, you know, uh, in the fireworks business, I think it's, uh, um, look, when I grew, when we grew up, it was, it was cool to be patriotic. Yeah. Uh, I think we need to get a little bit more of that back. Yeah. And, uh, good luck on um, that one. I think fireworks help do that. We bring communities together. You know, a lot of our business revolves around July 4th. Um, and I think, you know, independence day is, is a, uh, is a great, uh, holiday that people still know and understand in in this country. As long as we keep it legal. Divisive. (laughs) 
as you long know, as we keep it legal. Yeah, at some point, independence is going to be, you can't talk about independence. You know, this is bad. So, yeah, that's a whole different discussion. So do you find yourself, like when you're a fourth generation family member running the family business, are, is there a scorecard somewhere that says this guy was the best one? This guy's the second. Like, are you, is there a, is there a chart or a graph somewhere that you're following to see if yeah, you've done as well? Yeah, there are certainly some, some, some OG, you know, firework people yeah. that uh, we've gotten to know and, and enjoy and, and love over the years. And I think, you know, the firework industry is one of the coolest industries because it is made up of a lot of small family businesses, right. uh, you know, a lot of them of Italian descent, but we work real hard. I think my generation of, you know, fireworkers out there in the field, we take the responsibility of, of moving the industry forward and we take it seriously. Right. You know, it's our job to make sure that, um, you know, that we leave the industry in a better place for the next generation. And, um, yeah. Why is it Italian? That, um, I, you know, as the story goes and, and what, what history will tell you is, you know, a, a, you know, fireworks was an incredibly important village trade back in, in the day. I mean, in Newcastle, Pennsylvania, where we're headquartered, there were nine companies, uh, at the Jeez. turn of the last century. And, you know, why, you know, we ended up in, in, in Newcastle is because um, our people w- were hired as scab laborers in the tin mills. So they would work in the mills during uh, the day and they would do, they would make fireworks. Um, when you say it uh, on nights and weekends, when you say uh, our people, you mean Italians? From it, our, yeah, Italian the immigrants? People from the, Right. Italian immigrants. Yeah. Wow. Huh. That's interesting. I, you know, I, I really didn't know that the history of, of fireworks really, you know, was Italy. So like were the first fireworks that were created and blasted up into the sky created in Italy? Um, no, China as the story goes, but I think, you know, uh, I think what, what is still great in Italy and Spain and, and a lot of the European companies, they've held on to their manufacturing base, which we lost. So they still have that immense uh, amount of pride in, in the crafts of the craft of, of building fireworks. Yeah. Somewhere at the foundation of fireworks, is it about war? Like, is it about, you know, are we celebrating victories in war by blasting it, things up the, in the sky? Core was, it, the core was about, it was about gunpowder. Yeah. And a yeah. lot of times gunpowder is, is about war. Um, but yeah, it was used, you know, it's like, Ooh, we could use this to celebrate, to celebrate as well. Right. Right. Yeah. No, it's, it's really interesting. So, you know, you talk about people and culture and but mm-hmm. safety, I assume, is is a massive concern when you're talking about, you know, explosives and transporting uh, them, absolutely. storing them, blasting them, you know, igniting them when you don't mean to ignite them is probably a concern, I'm guessing. Yeah, you know, safety is certainly our first priority and, um, you know, it, it's they're combustible goods and uh you know not only is that it's it's an incredibly complicated business Mm -hmm. um you know it has a lot of moving parts and i think it's uh um you know look it's no different than uh, everything else in entertainment or or business in general 
um, it's very fragile right now. Yeah. Um, well, it seems like everything would be more complicated, more expensive, insurance, transport, storage, you know, like there's probably rules on where, you know, like neighborhoods, you can't have a, a fireworks warehouse where there's people nearby, I would guess. Yeah, well, there, there are a lot of, uh, you know, it's a heavily regulated business, which is a good thing, um, you know, at the federal level uh, and state and local as well. But, yeah. um, you know, look, 95% of, of the supply chain of fireworks to the world comes out of China. Right. So, you know, you, you, I think you can, you know, tell this, you, you could uh, connect the dots to the story of, of how complicated it's been. You know, shipping prices have, tripled you know, yeah. prior to COVID uh, shipping was $13,000 a can- container. It's $45,000 a ca- oh container. Oh my God. Um, that is so crazy. it's, you know, unfortunately it will probably knock out a lot of small businesses in the, in the business, in, in the industry, which is, you know, I think tragic. Yeah. So at that point, are you going back to like the little town where you've done their 4th of July celebration every year for the last 30 years and saying, I'm sorry, but we have to jack up your price? Yes. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you know, we've had to have price increases across the board. You know, everything that we touch that is, is a major part of producing a fireworks display is a little wonky right now. You know, um, you know, just finding rental trucks is maybe one of our biggest challenges in the business. So, yeah, yeah I mean, we're having to pass on a lot of uh, price increases to, uh, you know, to our clients, which is never easy, but you know, look, they understand it. It's a market where everything costs us more. And yeah. uh, so you know, I, we're, I, we're doing our best. Go ahead. Yeah. I know within your business, you separate fireworks and, and pyrotechnics and, my my own ignorance what what's the difference um well you know uh, i there are a lot of similarities when it comes to you know insuring the businesses the regulatory bodies that we deal with but yet you know our special effects division uh really looks and feels a lot more like uh you know being a part of a production house, okay. you know, um, you know, it's more entertainment driven, you know, all our business in special effects is primarily made up of, you know, the sporting concert touring, music festivals, um, residencies and award shows. Okay. And, and you know, and, uh, and you know, fireworks, fireworks is more the cities and municipalities it, and, yeah, we have a very uh, big municipal uh, business as well. You know, baseball's a big part of um, that business as well. But, you know, most of our firework displays are, are community celebrations you know, right. across the country. Right. So it's you're using similar products, similar tools, similar people, but it's more about the application of the people and the tools and the products than it is. Absolutely. Yeah. The, the product's a little different, but the application is very similar. You know, we use the same firing systems. Uh, we deal with the same regulatory bodies. Right. Um, yeah. I, yeah. I, I, I just, all in all, very different business. I always, I always just didn't know why some things were called pyrotechnics and some things were called fireworks. And, you know, I guess yeah. again, it's fireworks is that community display and, and pyrotechnics is, is more around a show. Or I guess yeah, and I think 
how, how we say, you know, you can cover up a, a, a small mistake in a fireworks display, but you can't do that. Uh, uh, you can't cover up a mistake that's made on a stage. Yeah. In the finale of a kiss show or something. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's very true. That's a good point because you know, in a, in a display, they're out in a field or out on the water or whatever, you know, worst case scenario, some, you know, a technician gets hurt or something, but yeah, on a stage, it could be catastrophic. Yeah. Or look really bad or look really bad. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So th- that's interesting. So, um, so you mentioned basically the, so it's not really pyrotechnics and fireworks. You've split the company fireworks and Correct. SFX. Correct. Okay. Correct. And you know, uh, you know, our fireworks, Division is a, a you know still a, a a very big part of the heart and soul of of the organization and uh, you know it's a it's a big part of of the company. Um, yeah. You know, this year we'll do upwards of three thousand shows. Wow. So, and what, a lot of moving parts. What percentage of those shows is on the Fourth of July? Um, roughly around forty percent. Wow. So almost and half we, your business. We consider the fourth of yeah, we consider the fourth of July the week of the fourth of July because a lot of communities can't afford, um, you know, a show on the fourth of July any any longer um, because you know the price. Well, it's just it's all about supply and demand. I mean, no different than I think in in our you know in our enter, in the entertainment world, we lost a lot of really good technicians um, that just opted out. Uh, no longer, you know, yeah, uh, really they aged out or, or opted out of, of, of doing producing shows. Well, I, I have an idea. You could extend your, your, uh, you know, cash intake by promoting Canada day on yeah. July 1st and having Canada day celebrations in Pennsylvania and, you know, <laughs> Illinois and stuff. Yeah. There you go. That'll go really well. I'm sure. So, um, so the the fireworks business I get. I mean, it's it's the community stuff and and Fourth uh, of July celebrations, probably you know massive weddings or other events like that. But um, so you mentioned a big part of your business is like sports. So are we talking about? Uh, I mean, the Super Bowl being the penultimate. But what other kind of things are we doing for sports? Um, you know, it's a great question. You know, we do, uh, a lot of our business revolves around, you know, we do a lot of NFL work. We do a lot of, uh, you know, uh, big time football university work, football, um, you, you know, universities will spend money on, you know, their baseball team or, or basketball. Right. So, uh, you know, that's a big part of, um, you know, the sports, sports business for us. Um, but is it all soccer is, is coming on strong? Is it all pretty much pyrotechnics or like CO2 jets and all kinds of other things as well? It's a lot of it revolves around plane reductions. Okay. Okay. For sure. Uh, you know, home runs, victories, yeah. you know, a score, things yeah. like that. So, uh. Look, yeah. Um, you know, I think as I see it and I could be totally wrong, you know, uh, these teams have to, uh, make the, the overall game experience better 
because they're fighting against television. I yeah. mean, I think you and I have talked about it a lot. I know you're a, a Dolphins fan and mm-hmm. sometimes it's just great to be at home uh, watching a game on your, uh, you know, 60 inch television right. um, with a beer and your fridge yeah, nearby. Absolutely. No. And it's funny you say that because I've had a few conversations around this in, in my world in racing. And so, you know, a lot of Brits especially, but a lot of Europeans, but mostly British people are really complaining about the Miami, Miami Grand Prix um, a couple mm-hmm. of weeks ago. And they're saying that Americans are more into the entertainment and the celebrity and all of that stuff than they are into the actual race. And at the end of the day, it was a really good race. It was actually one of the more entertaining races that has happened in Formula One this season so far. Um, but I get what they're saying, but that's just how yeah. we do things here. Like the Super Bowl is a, at the core, it's a football game, but it's, it's so spectacle. much more than that. It's a spectacle. It, it, it is. It's an event. Yeah, I mean, it's become a, it's a national holiday. Yeah. Um, it's funny. You know, I, I would, you know, we do uh, quite a bit of work around in the racing community and we did some work uh, with the um, Miami F1 race and yeah. they kind of backed off some of the uh, the effects that they were planning because they did, they wanted to make it less of a spectacle. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Well, one thing I can tell you, they made it a big spectacle and, and they needed to with the ticket prices they were charging because this is one of the other things between here and Europe. So, you know, F1 is a really big deal here in the U.S. right now, judging by the mm-hmm. fact that the the next two big American races, besides uh, the Austin uh, Coda Circuit of the Americas, but um, Miami. And soon being, to be Las Vegas. Yeah, yeah, Miami being the fluffy thing that it is, and then Las Vegas being being the next one that they're bringing on board. You know, I can't even imagine what they're going to charge to to be a part of that. Like my son said a couple weeks ago, Dad, why don't we, he had this brilliant idea, let's just book hotel rooms right on the strip and we can just watch it from our balcony. And I'm like, smart. Yeah, I said it's brilliant. You know, you got the six thousand a night they're going to charge for that balcony room overlooking the the racetrack. You know, I mean, it's it's just not going to be that easy. You know, so, um, but I mean, again, it's like, a concern. I think that I think that you, you know, Marcel, you hit on a, a very important point. Um, you know, look, F one in Miami was about who was there, not about the race. Um, but it was a good you, race if you follow. And it was a great race. Yeah. Um, you know, I think there's a growing cer- concern in, uh, you know, our industry about ticket prices. And, yeah. Um, there has to be. You know, there has to be. But this is overall, this is the world right now. Like the housing market, the car market, they're all catering to the elite buyers. You know, they're all catering yeah. to these people who have an endless supply of cash. That will dry up. At some point, you're going to run out of those people and you're going to need to go back to the base of the market. And so that's where we see the country festivals and all of those things happen. But even some of those ticket prices have gone crazy lately. So, you know, I I mean, I think there is a point where, you know, too much is too much, you know, and like I wanted to go to the F1 race, but I wasn't going to pay $1,500 or $2,000 for a seat to go see it. You know, I, and this is the thing. Like, in Europe, an F1 race, you can go take some lawn chairs and sit on a hill and watch the race, you know, and it costs you nothing. 
And yeah. uh, here, forget about it. I mean, they'd charge you $500 for that spot on the hill, you know, somewhere, if you could find one, right? So, yeah, I mean, it, <clears throat> it's an interesting... Uh, so, so, sports, when you look at your SFX business, is it sort of like half sports, half shows? Uh, no, it, it's it's a lot less from the folks lost a lot less than sports it's probably 80 percent entertain you know traditional okay. entertainment and about 20 percent uh sports and so the entertainment but we see is- incredible opportunities we see incredible opportunities in, in sports but um you know you have to be able to execute those on a local level right you know if uh you know the tampa bay buccaneers who have been a client for forever or you know like the rams they're not going to pay to bring people in and or, you know, ship your gear and you have to be local. So, yeah, you know, that, that is, uh, you know, you know, that doesn't happen overnight. So, you know, well, we, we, we love the business, but it takes time to really build it um, in order to do good quality work. Yeah. So, I mean, I assume the pandemic, you know, your SFX business probably, was like most of the touring and and our industry the live events industry was crushed but what about what about the fireworks business like were people still doing shows because you could watch from your window even though it was you know a half a mile away or whatever or did those get killed yeah i mean our our special effects business went to zero i think like you know a lot of other businesses until sports started picking back up right um you know, I always thought that sports would, would would drive us out of, you know, the, the, the COVID era. And it really did. But uh, our firework display, you know, we lost about 70% of our overall business oh, you know, wow. during COVID. But, but, but um, you know, our fireworks business really helped uh, keep people on, you know, keep, keep the core uh, our, our, our core, um, you know, workforce in order and, and people found safe ways to socially distance for firework displays. Look, I mean, it was very political. It was a red state, blue state thing. So, yeah. you know, our business in, uh, you know, New England went to nothing, but yet we had, uh, you know, strong business in, Florida and Texas. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, but people did find a way to, to do shows. So that really, it really helped us, uh, um, not, not only from a financial standpoint, but, you know, really from a psychological standpoint, you know, I said it before and I'm repeating myself, but our, our people knew how bad they, they didn't need us to tell them how bad it was. They knew how bad it was. So it kind of gave, gave everybody uh, you know hope and a compelling future that at some point we will pull out of this right yeah so you know speaking of the pandemic and everything else so most companies were you know hoarding cash uh, firing all of their employees uh just basically battening down the hatches and figuring out how to survive from here till whenever the end of this thing was like it, it was, you know, I don't want to beat it to death because 
I've talked with so many people about this so many times, yeah. but you know, there was stages of this thing. There was like that first, which I call day 91, that first 90 days where we thought we'd come out the other end of it, like around June or something. And it was just really starting to sink in its heels, you know, digging its heels around June to where it was like, Oh shit, this thing's going to last a little bit longer than we expected. But you know, so people were going through all of these these horrible things, just trying to save their businesses. And I know you had your own struggles. You just said you lost for sure hundred percent of your SFX business. But at the same time, you seem to have this idea that you know I'm not just going to sit still and hoard cash and wait for this thing to be over. I'm going to take action. And you know, so you went out and started putting together this group of companies that is now called. Uh, I think it's now called Live Event Productions, and yeah. So, how did that idea come about? Like, what what was the incubator that you decided? Hey, you know, instead of being safe, I'm going to be a little bit more aggressive, and I'm going to go out and and use this as an opportunity to grow. Um, well, that's a good question. I'm, I'm trying to think of the moment in time. It was probably in June. You know, look, I was with Mickey Kerbishley on Friday the 13th, when we both got the text messages, uh, you know, right before lunch that uh, Live Nation was suspending all, uh, you know, live events. And oh he said, mate, God. we're fucked. Yeah, no kidding. No kidding. <laughs> uh, and, and I was like, I didn't think it was, it was going to be that bad, but it was that bad. Yeah. So, you know, look, I, um, I, when it, when I realized that it was going to last a lot longer than, than we originally thought, um, I was like, we're going to need a longer runway. I mean, we were paying our bills, uh, you know, for, for me, I've been, you know, I always knew what I wanted to build and grow. Um, you know, I started five years ago, really building the leadership team, uh, to, to really be able to fulfill those dreams. Uh, and really set the foundation. Um, but, you know, when you started hearing some of the war stories, which, what was going around it, and I think, look, the success of any business, you and I have talked about this, is access to capital. Yeah. Uh, and if you want to grow a business, you have to have access to capital. Um, I was like, well, there's two choices. You know, I, I'm 55 and, you know, I'll probably work till the day I die, but I certainly want to have options and choices. And I, I really want to fulfill my, my career dreams. And right. uh, if we would have stuck to, um, you know, traditional bank financing and, and, you know, working through our issues with our bank, we would have probably had to shrink our business by a third, if not more. Yeah. And I would have had to let go some people that I, you know, really love and trust and, 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 you know, want to be at war with. And that wasn't really acceptable to me. I am like, or the op, you know, the opposite was go out, raise some capital and help businesses and, and great companies get through this period of time and really fulfill uh, you know, the dreams of what I've sold my team on, on, on what we can be. That's, so that's um, such, a, that's such a great point. Like, you know, you mentioned really the difference between bank, like a lot of people in our industry, business owners 
are just passionate lighting people or passionate audio people. They're not necessarily mm-hmm. business people. They don't have a business background. They don't have a business education. Sometimes they don't even have a, a, a formal education of any kind. You know, they've been doing right. shows since they were 14 years old. That's what they know how to do. They do it really, really, really well smart with people. great passion. Yeah, they're super yeah. smart until you hit them with a pandemic and, you know, send them scattering like, they, you know, I saw some people do some really dumb things. I saw some people do some smart things. Um, so, but Look, you banks, know, banks, banks love banks you when you're doing enemy. well. Yeah. Bank, bank became the enemy. I mean, you know, the last thing you wanted to do is, is, uh, you know, deal with the, the workout department of a bank. Yeah. I, I, I have a, their British... goal is to, their goal is to get you, exit you out of the bank. Which is incredible. I mean, it's a bizarre yeah. business, but you know, I, I have a British friend who says, you know, that they uh, all banks do is sell you umbrellas on sunny days and then take them back and beat you over the head with them when it starts to rain, you know. Yeah. A- and uh, so that it was raining. <laughs> I mean, it was raining badly, and there was a very common story that I think you were probably hearing, and I was certainly hearing as well because I was doing that weekly thing uh every wednesday the happy hour thing um where i know you were on a bunch of those but um you know we were hearing a very common story which is my bank wants their money basically the bank's calling the note the bank is Mm -hmm. is is squeezing us you know they're forcing us to start selling assets or whatever um so you know the banks did some really awful things to some really good people yeah. Um, and, yeah. uh, you know, well, I think, you know, that's how I would check in on your, your, your weekly calls. And, you know, I uh, work with, you know, Michael Strickland as best that I could. And, you know, you and I talked about it and he as well, that I think the biggest void is the, the industry didn't have, you know, one unified trade association right. to really be the voice of, of the industry. And I, I still think that's a void and, and something that, you know, some of the smart uh, uh, forefathers of the industry should still work on putting together. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's funny because everyone's basically, you know, burned out on that and forgotten about it and moved on. Like this mm-hmm. is never going to happen again. So, but so back to the, what, what's the main difference like between, going to a bank and saying, please help me, you know, COVID's killing my business and, and I just need to be able to sustain the business to the other side of this COVID thing. So what's the difference between that and going to, you know, uh, whether it's, uh, you know, an angel investor or private equity or venture capital or, you know, some form of private capital uh, solution? Patience. Yeah. Patience. I think it's patience. Um, you know, we look for someone who uh, bought into our vision and bought into our team. Yeah, and uh, was was you know willing to uh, build something great. Yeah, and so your vision was basically to expand. So you know, again, it, like the obvious thing would have been to go and do a roll-up of fireworks companies because they were all hurting, right? Fireworks and SFX companies, your world. Um, all those companies were hurting. They were all, uh, you know, struggling with the same challenges you were. They lost 70% of their fireworks business or 100% yeah. of their SFX business. Why not just go roll up a bunch of those? 
Well, our fir- first deal um, was a traditional firework company. Um, okay. Firework and special effects company. It was uh, Melrose Pyrotechnics in the Midwest. And Mike Cardellano, the owner, um, very similar story. Uh, you know, someone I think, one of my favorite people in the world, I had no idea he was really looking to, you know, prepping his business to sell. And, um, you know, a few conversations that we were having, you know, working hard with legislators and, and Washington on, you know, helping with bailouts for the industry, you know, he'd mentioned that he's interested in getting rid of his business. And uh, so we did do uh, a traditional firework slash special effect acquisition to uh, expand in a, a, in the Midwest, a market that we did virtually no business. So it made a lot of sense and it, it increased our business by 50%. Wow. In that market. But meanwhile, your vision was this this live event productions thing, right? Yeah, like it to be was, a full full service production house uh, that you know can serve you know our our clients. You know, there's some synergies across the platform, and then there are and then there aren't. So the the idea is basically similar customers, you know, exploring those synergies, getting deeper into the customer's pocket, maybe. Uh, yeah. you know, if they're spending money on these five things and we can have all five of those things under one roof, it makes a lot of sense. Right. Is that the idea? It, it, you know, to me, it does. I mean, I could, I've been wrong, wrong a lot, but not only from a client standpoint, Marcel, but we see a lot of synergies, uh, on the, from the people standpoint, right. Uh, from, right. From, from a cross training. And, uh, you know, I think in the end, uh, you know, what, what makes any of, of our company successful is, is, is how our people execute out in the field. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's very true. So, you know, one of the things I saw during the pandemic from other companies that were buying up companies is, is you really had sort of two approaches. You had one approach, which was, I'm just going to buy your company for your inventory and I'm going to buy your inventory at 30 cents on the dollar and then I'm just going to get rid of your people. Um, mm-hmm. And those were, you know, very, uh, I mean, they just weren't based on kindness at all. They were, they were really just based on the mighty dollar. I, I'm going to take advantage of an opportunity. Not that that's not uh, legal or, or ethical or whatever. I mean, I'm not saying that's a bad thing. That's an approach. But then one of the things that I really thought was interesting about your approach is you were doing a couple of things. One, you were looking at pre-pandemic revenue. And I know a lot of the companies who sold their businesses to you. I know the owners really well. Um, so I know you were looking at pre-pandemic revenue. Um, so you weren't just saying, hey, but your revenue is 80% off. I want to pay 80% less. You were, you were actually doing deals that were leaving the owners in a happy place, not in a really sad place. And it was also bringing the owners along. Was that by design? Oh, absolutely. I mean, look, no one wants to believe that someone stole something from them. And, uh, you know, that's not who I am as a person and that's not who we are as a company. So look, people, um, look, I think a part of the opportunity is, you know, a lot of the, 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 the folks who have built great companies in, uh, you know, sound, light, and video were in their 
mid to late sixties, you know, I think this pandemic really gassed a lot of people out. Yeah. Um, um, so yeah, our, our approach was to, you know, look, let's, let's 2020 was a throwaway year for everyone. Um, you know, let's, let's value your business based on the years before and what the opportunity, more importantly, what the opportunity is on the other side of this. So yeah, that was important. I mean, I thought we, we look to create raving fans, uh, as clients, but I, I said for us to continue to grow and our strategy to work, we have to make sure that we make raving fans out of the, the owners of the businesses that we buy. Um, yeah. and continue to operate. Look, they were, they're the important uh, part of the puzzle. I mean, it's, it's the people who get the work done. We can go out and find gear. I know it's, it's incredibly difficult and expensive right now, but yeah. uh, at the end of the day, you know, we looked for companies that, uh, you know, did great work prior to, to COVID and we're going to do great work uh, on the other side of COVID. Yeah, obviously uh, you had to have an expectation that they were going to return to that business. So you're you're investing yeah. based on the fact that, you know, yes, that business is going to rebound and return. And, and I know in speaking with you that some of the businesses uh, are already much larger than they were in 2019, which is really exciting. Yeah. I mean, that that's... Boom. That's very exciting. It is exciting, but it's difficult. I, you know, I, I think prior to the, the, you know, us jumping on the podcast, as hard as, as the business was uh, during COVID, it's equally as hard for good reasons. Yeah. Um, because I think, you know, everyone's trying to make up for lost time and, you know, the, the business is, is really booming here. But, you know, back to the companies that we look for, at the end of the day, they had to be cultural fits. Right. Um you know, we had to have some level of alignment on what our future is going to look like together and why we're going to be stronger together than, uh, you know, instead of going at it solo. And, and why is that important? Is that is that just to minimize conflict or is that because that's just at the core of your business or what is it? Which part? Just, uh, you know, that it had to be a cultural fit. Was that just to avoid conflict? Uh, you know, I think good, uh, some conflict is good. You know, healthy conflict's great. But we had we had to have alignment on what the business could be uh, together um, so we could really execute. Look, we, uh, um, I think a part of, of our, our culture, which is good, is we, it's okay to, you know, disagreement is good as long as it, it's, it's moving us towards, uh, you know, a common goal. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. I mean, you know, I think you look, we have to have, we have to have good alignment on, on gear, on, you know, gear strategy, on people strategy, on what we want the business to be. Uh, you know, we bought four companies, but they all have their, you know, all a little bit different in, in one way, shape or form. Right. But, uh, but they're, I'm, I'm incredibly, go ahead. They're built around really uh, well-known and smart founders and, and uh, you know, like uh, some of the businesses are some of my favorite people in the industry, you know, guys like Chaz yeah. and Chaz and Terry Kane at Gemini and Smoother yeah. and, and uh, Jason Alt at, at Delicate, you know, really great companies, really great people Wonderful who have done people. really great work over yeah. the years. 
and uh smart uh you know i always say you have to have smart and gritty right uh, this is tough business and, yeah you know they're all really digging in and, and doing incredible work and you know i think my job as as the you know as a leader is is to you know to listen uh and to really help get uh, you know a lot of the uh obstacles out of their way yeah. so we can you know, be the best version of of live events yeah, I mean, again, I I'm old, so I have the benefit of having seen rollups a bunch of times in our industry. Yeah. I was very close to the PRG uh, foundation, the beginning of PRG, and you know when they bought mm-hmm. Cinema Services and Vanco and Bash, and you know the earliest days of PRG, and I knew all the people involved, so I got to have conversations with Jerry on one side, and then you know, God rest his soul, Marty Nerudin or Tim Brennan or any of the, geez, the first two people I mentioned are both gone this year. But, um, but you know, I got to see how things were broken from a cultural standpoint, from a need for systems standpoint. And I mean, it seems like, you know, one of the good things you really covered, you checked some boxes before you went into this, you built a strong management team, you had foundation from a standpoint of infrastructure, you have an IT department, an HR department, a marketing department, the things that these other businesses, because let's face it, when people grow a rental company, they don't immediately go out and hire a marketing team or an IT team or a uh, an HR team. HR is usually the last thing on their list, uh, you know, when it comes to our industry. So, um, you know, I mean, to me, that's one of the things that you seem to have looked at how companies did it in the past and learned from some of their mistakes, perhaps. Yeah, I think what made it um, look, we, it's, I can't say it's been easy, but we have, uh, you know, I have an incredible team in place and, uh, you know, a group of, of, of young leaders, uh, who have done this type of work before. Um, and, you know, we have a great shared services group that, um, you know, their main objective is support, support these businesses. So that has really to take been- away the stuff that they never, never enjoyed doing, you know, payroll, uh, benefits, yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, counting that, that type of stuff. Yeah. No. And that, that has that been really challenging for your own group because, you know, probably some of these people were in place before this was a roll up of companies or a, a gathering of companies. It was, Hey, you're going to do HR for a pyrotechnics and, and fireworks company. Um, and now yeah. all of a sudden you're doing HR for five different businesses. Yeah. Look, we have challenges every day, like any other business, but, uh, you know, our team's pretty battle tested and, uh, you know, uh, they've done an incredible job. It's, uh, it's not easy and we have plenty of work to do. Yeah. Uh, You know, that work really never ends. Yeah. So, Um, so our, our biggest, our biggest function and, and, and priority has been to help, uh, get everybody back to pre pandemic levels from a staffing standpoint. Yeah. You know, the people element is challenging. You don't have to go too far in this industry to know that, uh, you know, a lot of people have left and it's really hard to find that those two or three people you might um, need in the warehouse. I think, uh, you know, 
I think we'll start to see people come back to the business. Yeah. Once they're certain that the business is here to stay. Yeah. So I want to get into that in a few minutes here. I want to get into sort of what are the biggest challenges and stuff, but you know, you talk about, um, you know, you've got a lot of work to do. Your work is cut out for you and stuff. And so one of the things, cause I've been watching very closely since the beginning, since you bought your first company here and I've been talking with you a lot and some of the guys on your team who I know. Um, but I know that you have been patient in making any changes to branding and, you know, at my core, I'm a marketing and branding guy. I love marketing. I love branding. I love, you know, putting these pieces together to, to create a, a view that you want people to see of your company or yourself or whatever it is that you're branding. Um, so, you know, I've been waiting to see what you were going to do as far as like, is Gemini going to become, you know, a division of Pyrotechnico or is Gemini just going to keep their own branding or is it just going to be called Gemico or something, you know, so that it matches Pyrotechnico. And so then, uh, you know, right now, like, you know, Ge- Gemini is a live events company. So we are keeping, uh, you know, individual branding with the, the, uh, the companies that we acquired right now. Um, you know, I, I think it, it makes sense to me right now. I think it makes sense to everyone because we don't want to conf- the, the, the industry is, is in enough turmoil. We don't want to con- confuse our people. Yeah. And we don't want to, we don't want to confuse the marketplace. Yeah. Uh, Cause yep. these are at the end of the day, they're very regional businesses. Yeah. And that's, so. that's the key thing is that they're regional businesses. And I, mm-hmm. I, I wouldn't always agree with what you're doing. Um, where you're calling them a live events company. Uh, but mm-hmm. in your particular case, I think it's a brilliant move. And because you're gaining the benefit of knowing that they're a piece of a bigger pie and you're branding that bigger pie, but at the same time, you are keeping that regional trust and, and that relationship with the, the local or regional market. Um, There's so, an incredible value in each and every one of the brands. Yeah, yeah, we I don't agree. Lose. No, I agree. I mean, you know, they've all done a really good job with their businesses and with creating, again, that local trust, the local network, the local market. Yeah. And so I've seen it work sort of and not work both ways. Like I know PRG originally was trying to go, you know, light and sound design was their touring division and this was their mm-hmm. installation division and this was their whatever division. And it just became so confusing that they just eventually went to PRG, which who knows, maybe down the road when you have 30 offices, uh, which I don't even know if that's part of your plan, but um, maybe you'll do the same thing. So the name live event productions or live events productions or live event productions, live events productions. So yeah, what's, we don't want to confuse ourselves. So that's incredibly important too. Yeah. So, So, I mean, was that just as simple as, you know, what industry are we in? We're in live events. You know, we're talking about putting on an entire production, whether it's sound lighting, uh, special effects, whatever video. Yeah. At some, at some point we, we had to say, okay, we're, we're, we're doing these deals. What are we going to call ourselves? Right. Right. <laughs> That's funny. So, yeah. you know, I think it happens to be a pretty cool name and, and, you know, you can certainly, yeah, have Mark, Mark even sent us our CFO came up with it. You know, oh, really? He, he's, he, yeah. He likes to, uh, you know, he'll never say he, he's a, you know, a smart, innovative guy. And, uh, um, you know, 
I've just never he thought of the market angle. I've never thought yeah. of CFOs as, as, uh, you know, creative marketers. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's uh, sort of counterintuitive. Um, yeah. So he threw it out there and we all, we, we just threw a bunch of names at, you know, threw a name, bunch of names on a whiteboard and yeah. everyone stuck. So is the intention to continue growing? Like is, is the intention to have more than the, well, so how many offices do you have in total or locations? Well, uh, and with LEP total. Yeah. Well, LEP um, and so is, is Pyrotechnico an LEP company or no? It is. Yeah, okay. It falls within the, the whole LEP group. We have, I believe around 13 offices. Okay. Um, you know, well over you know, upwards of 350 full-time people. Um, wow. Mm. Yeah. So, and um, so you're, and, and I'm a growth minded person. So I think you're, uh, you know, growth has always been a part of, of who I am as a leader and who our company is. So yeah, we're in no hurry. Right. Uh, you know, we want to make sure that we are building a strong foundation and a strong platform for growth. But, uh, you know, if a good opportunity, uh, you know, presents itself, we would certainly look at it. But, um, you know, in no rush. Yeah. Um, I think right now it's incredibly important uh, as uh, as tough as the business is right now, it's, it's what's most important that we go execute at a high level, uh, our work, because, you know, you're, you're, you are as good as your last show. Yeah. And we want to make sure that we, uh, are known for going out and doing, you know, quality work. Yeah. Doing shit right. Yeah. Doing epic shit. As I said, well, I like what you've done basically where you've bought a few companies quickly and then, you know, you're taking a breath. You're, you're basically digesting your lunch and right. putting infrastructure in place, you know, fixing whatever problems exist, you know, just learning from those first few purchases so that you've mm-hmm. got a really good, strong foundation and structure in place to go like the fifth deal will probably be a lot easier than the first few, I'm guessing. Yeah, for sure. We did five deals at one time, you know, within a, a nine month period. It was, uh, you know, uh, it was hard. Yeah. Um, but uh, I thought it, it was critically important to, to do it that way. So um, o- overall, what has been more challenging than, than you had initially anticipated? So when you looked forward at, I'm going to go out and buy five companies this year in nine months, you probably thought this is going to be hard. This is going to be hard. What was, what was harder than you ever expected? I think the people element has been, you know, very difficult. We knew that people were going to leave the industry, but, you know, we're now competing with the Amazons, the Walmarts, the Targets. Um, I think, you know, wage inflation has probably been one of the most difficult parts uh, uh, of the business. And in, in, from my perspective, uh, you know, that I think uh, the, the instability of the supply chain. Yeah. Um, how long it's taking uh, to, to get, you know, critical supplies you need for your business. Um, you know, look, we're in the special effects business. We, 
we go through a lot of CO2 and, you know, CO2 provide, you know, gas companies are, 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 uh, you know, they don't have adequate amount of, of tanks. And my brother will say, where did they go? (laughs) You know, it's like, where did, where did these things go? I think, um, it is you true know, because just, you talk about shipping companies, you know, are short on containers. Where'd, the, where'd all the containers go? Yeah, we used to use yeah. containers for freaking flower pots and stuff because you couldn't get rid of them fast enough because they were just, you know, they were litter basically. And now they're gold, yeah. you know? Yeah. I mean, um, you know, one of our big pyro suppliers and good friends, we grew up in the firework business since we were teenagers. They had 65 people going into uh, COVID and they have, you know, they have 19 now. Oh my goodness. And they, and the demand is, is stronger than it's ever been. So, uh, you know, those are things you just can't throw money at. But are there Um, lessons and anecdotes in there and stuff? Because like, I know in my own business and a lot of the business owner friends that I have, went from let's use that number six sixty five down to 19 and then on a larger revenue number they realized they didn't need to go to 65 or 70 they could do it with 45 yeah so 100%, you learn things like once you clear your warehouse floor you start going well what's that what's that what's that thing right yeah. there what's that over there so yeah for sure you look, look when, when the business when you have the sales and the, the momentum of, of a strong business. Sometimes it makes you, makes you look smarter than you really true. are. Yeah. But true. Yeah, it, 2019, think, um, you know, 2019, I, everyone in our industry looked like geniuses. Yeah, exactly. Know? And, um, you know, 2020, think, we all looked like a bunch of freaking idiots, you know, one, one of the key, you know, things that we did during COVID other than stay relevant is we worked real hard on being a better company. Yeah. So yeah, no, being that's, a better leader, me being, too. Being, me yeah. too. You know, while while people were doing some things that I felt were were evil or or ugly or whatever, um, I was really focused on a helping people the best I could. You know, if I can help you survive somehow, or if I can do something to make your day better or whatever, I I was spending a lot of my and I'm no saint, you know, but I was spending a lot of my time on as I know you were. You were involved in so many committees and meetings and yeah, you know, discussions that really were just you know, what am I going to do? And you had to sit there and, and throw ideas out until they could, they could grab onto one that might help them make right. a difference. So, yeah. Um, so last question related to, to that side of the business and stuff. So in the, what has it been a year since you've basically been in the lighting and sound part of the business yeah. roughly? So what have you noticed the biggest differences between that business or the new business and the old business, call it being fireworks and, and SFX to like sound lighting video. What's the biggest difference? Good question. A lot of similarities. I think. uh, Certainly gear would be one of them. Assets. One is very asset. Yeah. I think. I, I, yeah, I, that, that is probably uh, the number one more. So it would be, um, you know, the large, you know, capital expense on an annual basis. You need for, for gear, yeah. having the right gear. Um, you know, if you're in the fireworks business, sometimes a blue peony 
whether you have a blue peony or red peony or a gold peony, it really doesn't matter. And, and the audience isn't going to care, yeah. um, you know, uh, having the, the, the right assets in place in soundline videos is incredibly important at the right time too, you know, because right at the the right time. Yeah. Um, And, you know, we spend a lot of time on, and I'm in Dallas and it's one of the main, you know, strategic discussions we're having today. It's, it's about because now we we have to start looking at, look, our buying cycles are, are much longer. So we're starting to look at 2023, you know, CapEx, CapEx expenditures because we have to order it now. Yeah. It's so um, true, man. If we want to get it, it it's uh, so true. Um, I think that is probably some of the most difficult, one of the most difficult areas that have come out of COVID is, is the, the lead times on everything we buy. And I think that's, it's, it's, will certainly get better, but yeah. it's not better right now. Well, it's lead times. And it's also sort of this weird moving target because, you know, Today, you don't know what freight's going to cost eight months from now. So you can't build the freight number into it, you know, unless you can muscle the supplier into including freight uh, at a fixed price that he's setting today. But even suppliers are getting, manufacturers are getting, uh, you know, a little leery of doing that now because that's eaten into their margins pretty heavily. And uh, so, yeah, I mean, it's, it's super challenging. I guess the other thing that I would expect, and you can tell me, would be like technical, skilled, skilled people, skilled staff, skilled uh, people. Skilled I, I would guess is a, the is difference. A big challenge. But I mean, the difference between your your uh, foundational business, Pyro and SFX, and your new business, sound lighting, video, etc. Um, I would guess that SFX and especially fireworks would be more labor, and this would be more technical. Or am I wrong? Correct. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of, sort of. Yeah. I mean, backing up to your questions, it just came to me. I think what has probably been most difficult for collectively uh, for our teams is our, the buying cycles from our clients have gotten a lot shorter, uh, which. That's going the wrong direction. It, it's going in the wrong direction. Yeah, it was, your buying it was, cycles I, are longer, but their buying cycles yeah. are shorter. Yeah. I just think people are, are having, uh, look, you have to, uh, a mentor of mine told me this, you know, long ago, make quick decisions. And I tell my, my people that all the time, sometimes they'll be wrong. I think what COVID has done is it stymied people's decision-making capabilities. And I think that is, has been incredibly difficult uh, for the industry. Yeah. Well, and, uh, you know, so there's a double-edged sword there because I drive people crazy because I make quick decisions. And yeah. I'm talking very quick, like life-changing decisions I'll make, you know, uh, because generally the first thought that comes to my mind is such a strong thought in my head and and I'm convicted. You know, it's, it's just like, this is what we need to do, period. And, uh, you know, so maybe that's closed mindedness or not thinking through all of the possible scenarios or whatever. But I always think that by the time that other person makes a decision, I'm already in the business. You know, it, it's it's too late. You missed your opportunity because yes. I already took it from you. So, yeah, look, but th- that, that gives us the opportunity to be better. Yeah. Um, um, be more productive. But it's it's complicated. 
But this this people thing has it created a and people are making a lot lot more changes than they oh <laughs> to their shows made. and stuff to their shows and stuff yeah why is that and you just you have to reset expectations why is that uh, is that because their budgets are evolving or we're getting uh, there's a lot of emotional spending that that's going on I think in I the right direction yeah. Uh, the business but look that that comes at a uh, at a cost to something yeah so you know to kind of wind this down because i know we both have stuff we've got to do and i really do appreciate you taking all the time to do this because i've been wanting to get you on yeah, for, thanks for, for having months me. here yeah, for sure. um, you know i know like one thing i do want to mention one of the things you mentioned to me is that your company is going through a big branding and marketing thing right now and so i don't know mm-hmm. if by the time the podcast is going to be out if we're going to be able to include uh you know your web site and you know any of the other uh marketing announcements but certainly we'll help to promote that if you'd like um i certainly hope so but uh yeah. you'll find us at uh www.goliveevents.com go live events i like it that's yeah. cool that's cool so you know Oops. biggest post pandemic challenges that you're seeing today i we've really just discussed that it's gear it's lead times it's uh um, people, uh, you know, and I always ask people, is it gear or people? What's the biggest challenge? And they're like, yes, you know, it's all of that. Like right there, it's all of that. And, you know, you and I talked earlier, it's used gear now too, because what I'm seeing is more and more companies, especially large companies hoarding used equipment because either a, they don't have CapEx because, you know, again, a lot of companies carry debt for a forward through this pandemic thing. So now they're sitting with all kinds of debt on their books. They've got two years of really bad financials behind them and they're trying to get CapEx money to buy new gear and it's just not happening. You know, they're, they're not credit worthy, you know, and I've talked to some of the leading leasing guys in our industry, like Artie and stuff like that. And they're having the same problems. Like they just can't get, like somebody comes to him and says, Hey, I need to lease, you know, $2 million worth of Roby lights. And they just can't get it for them based on their financials. Yeah. So I I see that that's going to be a challenge for a while. Yeah. Um, Yeah. um, You know, look, I said it earlier, access to capital is critically important, you know, for any growing business, uh, especially a business that has such high capital needs as ours. So based on what you know today, do you think banks are absolutely not the answer for people or is that going to open up a bit? Well, you know, you, you, you're an entrepreneur, you've been in business a long time. You, you know, for a bank to really look at you, you need 12 good months of, of uh, you know, positive income. So I think, I think towards, you know, every, I think the business kicked back on last summer. I think you're going to start seeing, uh, I would hope to see you'll start seeing banks loosen up and start lending to the industry um, sometime this year. But I think we're going to have some head, headwinds if we go, you know, if, if, you know, the recession is truly, you know, if we're truly heading into a recession, I think yeah. you know, banks are risk adverse. That is true. Um, yeah. You know, they lend money to people who don't need it. Yeah. And, 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 you know, the, the regulatory environment in banking does not help. No, no. Yeah. 
it's I think it's going to be tricky. I think this year will you know it's it's going to be tricky across not only executing our shows but you know getting people you know the right financial relationships to move into 2023 because I think 2023 is going to be strong too. So with the attrition in our business and and just movement of people out of the industry who are never coming back again and and the need for more and more people what's what's the best advice that you would give to someone who's listening to this podcast and going yeah live events that sounds like a cool industry or it sounds like a cool company maybe I should contact their HR department and and go work for them um, so what, what's the best advice you'd give to, to individuals who are just entering our industry, just getting into it? I, you know, I think it's a, I, I think I told you, uh, you know, earlier that, you know, we're doubling down on this business. We believe in this business and we believe it's a great industry for young people to get into. I think it's important that we go out and promote it. You know, we've, uh, we've put a stake in the ground and just hired a director of education and training. So we could not only attract the next generation, but we can train them to our standards and, and really make sure that, uh, you know, we create great, uh, lifelong, uh, careers for them. Yeah. That's, that's interesting. And that's very exciting. And, and, you know, honestly, I, I can't believe more companies aren't super focused on that because, one thing I've known since the beginning of COVID is that there was going to be a need to bring people from outside the industry at some point when this all came down. And that means you need to have an educational and a commitment, you know, and that's like you said, I think it's an executive position, right? A director or something. Yeah. Yeah. yeah we we that's have a to be very strategic about bringing the next generation of, of uh, people into the business because it is an amazing industry for for anyone to get involved with yeah no that's that's huge that's that's exciting so um do you think last question more m&a going forward more uh roll-ups more companies being purchased in our industry or you know are, are we uh sort of at an exhale point and those who wanted to be sold have already been sold and and the rest are you know with ourselves or just in general, in general, in general, I think, I know, I look, I think, I think the, the complexities of what's going on in the financial markets may, I think we'll see more consolidation in the business. I think, yeah. uh, again, I, I think you have, and this just is, is in an, our business, you have baby boomers, uh, who are entrepreneurs and, and, and uh, have grown and developed businesses that, uh, are looking for towards for and towards their retirement that they don't have the next generation that's going to come into the business. So yeah. I think that you know, our, our business is still somewhat fragmented and you still have a lot of mom and pops out there. So I think there, there will be some, some, some more consolidation for yeah. sure. And, and like we've already said, those mom and pops, like mm-hmm. although their revenue maybe today higher than it's ever been in, in, in the existence of their business. Um, they've, they've got some skeletons, you know, they've got some debt that they built up over a couple of years. They've got these easy to get low interest EIDL loans that they took on. And, you know, I've spoken to companies that took, 
you know, one and a half to three million dollars in EIDL loans. Those have to be paid back, even though the payments are yeah. nice and easy like a mortgage, but they still have to be paid back. And that's still debt that shows up on your on your balance sheet and, and in your financials when you're trying to get that line of credit to buy the new lights or new sound system. So, you know, at some point, yeah, if you had, are the, not if you gonna, had the fortitude. Yeah. If you had the fortitude to stay in this business during COVID, you dug yourself a little ditch. Oh, you definitely did. Well, and so here it's going to, it's going to evolve too, because what we're going to see is we've been seeing somebody specifies the latest, greatest DNB sound system, but they'll accept the six-year-old model, right? Mm -hmm. Next year, they won't. Next year, they're going to demand that it's that latest package. And so right now, I've seen a lot of people who are saying, you know, I need the Roby whatever um, or the Alation equivalent or the Ayrton equivalent or the Martin equivalent or whatever. They're being very flexible because they need to. But I think by the time we see next year's, you know, big touring season and stuff, that's going away. You're going to get yeah, demand. Yeah, might look back. a little different. Yeah. yeah, I agree with that. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Stephen, for coming on and doing this. I know you're sitting in a hotel room headed for a day full of meetings. And uh, uh, I wish you great success with what you're doing. I love what you're doing. I love the spirit behind what you're doing. I like you and your brother. And uh, I think you guys have a fantastic business. So, Thank you, brother. Enjoyed it. And thanks for having me on. Look forward to the next one. Thanks. All right. Bye-bye. Take care. Sweet, sweet child